Welcome to the Soundstream Media, Sidestream Media Podcast. Tonight with Maurits. Maurits, how are you doing? Great, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing very well. Uh, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, a, an old friend who I spent many nights on his couch. Uh, wait, that's not a sentence, but the message is there. <laughs> yes. Um, what maybe the people at home don't know is that you are a, kind of an amateur mountaineer. <laughs> is what I learned earlier in our discussion. Almost. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a mountaineer. Uh, no, but you have walked in the Alps. I uh, did, more than once, so I'm a pro. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are just the rules, Mo. I, I, that's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, today, uh, we are actually going to talk about some serious uh, mountains. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the Himalaya. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, uh, well, we're going to talk about a border region that you will have heard f about in some way. Mm -hmm. um, this is sort of the border region on Western, think Western China, Yeah. the part where it borders on India. Yeah, I know about it. Yeah? Well, a little bit. Haven't been there, but yeah. I've heard about it. So you, I guess you know what kind of massive conflict area is also in that particular region. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of potential for conflict, I would say. It's, it's like, it's been going on for a while as well, I mean. Yeah, like you have this, this area, the first major area of problems there is, is of course, Kashmir. Yeah. Um, which has been a problem for, for what is it by now, 80 years almost. Effectively since the Second World War, right? right since yeah. independence. Um, and then you have another area, which is a conflict between India and China. Mm -hmm. um, now tonight, I sort of want to talk <clears throat> about the conflict between China and India. All right, um, great. First of all, just, just so that everybody sort of has this clear, this is not quite the Alps. <laughs> um, this is a, is a very rough, terrain. I, I'm guessing the Alps in some areas are pretty rough, but you know, if you put yeah, the Swiss nothing. there, everything will be fine in the end. Yeah, they just tunnel everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is like, it's a pretty arid, very mountainous. It's difficult to walk through the region. And currently they're going through an incredibly cold winter. Um, um, this, this particular winter is, uh, is particularly rough in an area that is already rough. Uh, not to mention the oxygen problems. It's high and up enough for, for serious problems with oxygen. Yeah. So it's not really the place where you want to have uh, an international brawling uh, yeah, competition. I imagine. Um, now, we're sort of talking about where these three countries come together. And it's an interesting place for a couple reasons. First of all, um, we have a couple regions that are claimed by everybody. I'm just going to go quickly through them. So far you mentioned two countries though. And the third I'm guessing is Pakistan. Sorry, yes. Pakistan, China yeah. and India. Yes, yes. All right. um, the, the Pakistanis have, a, have, first of all, up, it's, you think of it as a square. I'll, I'll put in the, I, I can send you a, a, quickly, I can send you a picture. I'll put oh, it in I, the... I can imagine a square, kind of. Oh, shit. Um, okay, imagine a square. Then you have in the, in the northwestern part, you have a place called Gilgit Baltistan, All right. which is currently held by Pakistan and claimed by India. Uh, Azad Kashmir is south of that, so to yeah. the sort of to the west, also claimed by India, owned by Pakistan. India has Jammu and Kashmir, which yeah. is to the east of that, is claimed by Pakistan. And then India has Ladakh, which is the region we're going to talk about most, which is claimed by Pakistan, China and India. It is yeah. currently in Indian control. Um, then the Chinese have Aksai Chin, which is uh, claimed by India. And recently they have gotten an area from Pakistan, which is called the trans Karakoram Tract. Oh, you know what's funny? No. I've been there. You've been to the trans Karakoram Tract? I've been not exactly there, but close on the Karakoram Highway. 
And it is a dream of mine to actually go on vacation to Ledakh. Well, yeah, uh, coincidence, I... but uh, <laughs> just wanted to a little disclaimer here. <laughs> well, you're gonna you're gonna learn uh, some things hopefully about you, but then maybe yeah, yeah, you know yeah. everything that's to know already about. No, it. I doubt it because um, it's, in my opinion, so complex that I can't know everything there's to know about it, and I actually have not really read much about it recently, so I, I don't know what's going on right now. Well, uh, what happened around Christmas is um, a Chinese soldier got lost. Okay, I think I heard about something. Like, yeah, so, the, yeah, he got lost, because this is a very difficult region to, uh, to travel, and he... Well, that's not the only reason he got lost. It's also sort of hard to figure out where you are... Yeah, where's the border? There's no line. borders. Theoretical borders. Yeah. Um, but we're going to get back to him. That's sort of the, uh, the... I think that is the most recent story that mm -hmm. I've seen pop up in broader media. All right. Yeah. Um, but there's another reason this area is very interesting. As far as I know, and I, I've went through it in my head, the, all these three countries are nuclear powers, right? Yeah. So it's a nuclear triangle, essentially. Yeah. And as far as I know, there's only one other place um, that has the same um, sort of triangle of serious nuclear powers. Okay. There might be another place where I'm not thinking of something like there's a territorial colony of England, France, next to the United States or so. That's possible. But this is all right. North Korea, Russia and China share a triangle. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It, it, where Vladivostok is, sort of. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fun fact about that is that China is actually claiming Vladivostok. I, I don't really? Know if heard that. Recently? Yeah. Or have they been for Relatively recently, yeah. Oh. They put a claim on Vladivostok. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Chinese claim everything. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen those maps. There's claims on Mongolia, on all kinds of parts everywhere. All right, yeah. Um, so... Let's let's talk about this specific region. If if you sort of look at the the cultural region here, you have the Kashmiris and uh, Baltistan, yeah, who are generally more Muslim. Yeah. Um, in India's part, there are a little bit more Hindus, but generally, sort of, it's a it's a Hindu. Uh, sorry, yeah, it's a Hindu Muslim divide, or just ex almost exclusively Muslim in some parts. Yeah. But Ladakh is different. Uh, Ladakh actually has a lot of Buddhists. Now there's a reason for that, and one of the reasons is if you go, you probably notice, if you go north on the border with China, you'll find an, a very famous and important region of China. You'll find Tibet. Yeah. Right? And, and Ladakh is, has a lot of old cultural connections to Tibet. To Tibet. All right. Okay. I didn't know that. Which is an interesting thing in this area as well. And it's, it's very relevant to not only realize that there's problem between countries in this region, but in this region itself and just outside of these regions, there's a lot of strategic um, necessities for these countries to have territory here because they actually have internal problems. Yeah. So for both Pakistan and India, that's mostly Kashmir. Exactly. But for China, it's very important because they need to keep uh, easy access to Tibet. It's a, it's a military significant terrain, even though it's very arid, very cold, and you're not gonna build a factory there, one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it is a an, an strategically valuable um, bit of land. Yeah, yeah. So let's go, uh, let's start with a little bit of a history lesson. Um, the first sort of territory uh, drawing here happens in 1914. Um, By the British. Yes, of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Who else? Yeah, if there's one country you can leave up fucking, fucking up the world by drawing the wrong borders, <laughs> it is definitely Britain. Um, so the, the Kashmir is a principality under British India at that point. Yeah. Um, so British India is both India and Pakistan. It's yeah. sort of important to realize that, because otherwise it gets very confusing. Now, in 1914, the British make a deal where they sort of carve up the border between China and British India. 
But they also want to sign this deal with Tibet because they acknowledge Tibet as sort of an independent an, an region or autonomous. autonomous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Chinese immediately to ref- refuse any part in this deal because as far as China is concerned, Tibet is just a regular part of China. Another so in province. 19... Sorry? Just another province. Exactly. All right. So there, as soon as the British sort of say they want to have Tibet also sign the deal, uh, the Chinese refuse to sign this. Now, this is very important because the, the border that is drawn there between China and India, it's, it's called the McMahon Line. India still sees that at the border, as a border, as the border. The official right? border today. Yeah. I okay. mean, it's not where actually the, they have control over, but that is what they see as the border. Yeah. Um, which is hugely important because China is saying we never agree to this. This yeah. is just a, Br- a, a crazy it's British very guy. one-sided. But, sorry? It's just one-sided. Yeah. The, the British decided and nobody actually like signed it on the other side. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Understand. Sounds w- the wonderful British tradition. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> then the next important thing that happens is, is uh, 1970, uh, 1947. Um, 1947 is the year Pakistan and India um, became two nations. Yeah. Yes. And they start immediately fighting with each other. Yeah. Like, and that is a very complicated conflict. I'm not going to go too deep into it. No. Because you can just talk for that for hours and still be... Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's just a... Territorial claims were part of it. Yeah. Then it's important here because this... this Pakistan is also later... It, it, it plays a huge uh, role in the relationship between China and India. And part of that is because they share this very volatile territory. The, the oh. three of them share it. Yeah. Um... Now, also important, I always forget this, so Mao uh, conquers China, the rev- Mao, Mao's revolution of China, however you want to put it, happens yeah. in 1949. Uh, I always forget this, but this, after this, so only after this, China gets Mao. And I don't know if you know this about Mao, Momo, but um, Mao is kind of a, he's kind of a, t- a tough leader. He kind of wants to expand in different directions. He's not a very... Uh, He's not a very tolerant man of... No. Of, I don't think he seeks compromise a lot. No, no, no. he doesn't. Or he didn't. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this, well, yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he still doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tensions rise between China and India, where China is sort of saying this Ladakh region, uh, also Aksai Chin, those regions actually should belong to us. Sort of making the argument, it belongs to Tibet, therefore it belongs to us. Um, and in 1962, they actually come to blows. This is the first war they fight between, the, between yep. them. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, you sort of have to remember that China nor India has a nuclear power yet. Yeah. Um, this is for China still two years away and for India 12 years away. Okay. Uh, but it's a, it's a big... War now. The reason why China starts this war is mostly because they want to have easier infrastructure to Tibet, and also easier. I've, I'm not 100 percent sure how this works geographically. It's just something I read, but I don't quite understand it. An easier um, infrastructure to uh, Xinjiang, yeah, which is also a very troubled region. It's the region where the uh, uh, Uyghurs. I cannot pronounce Uyghurs. Uy- Uyghurs. Yeah. Um, now that was that has also always been somewhat of a problematic region for China so they invade India and they uh, do a very very good invasion um, they take a lot of territory sort of the Aksai Chin region yeah. falls under Chinese territory and then they get also into uh, Ladakh um, and they establish what is called a line of actual control. Okay. Yeah. Military presence. Yeah, military presence and sort of... Because it's hard to talk about borders here, right? If, if the initial <laughs> creations of the borders, you can't move them either. So that it sort of becomes complicated language yeah. almost. 
-hmm. So they established what is called the line of actual control. Um, the deaths in this war are, are pretty high. Uh, India, 1,000. China, 800. Um, I mean, it's nothing to, to, to scoff at. Like, those no, are relatively no. high numbers. Considering the colossal size of both of these nations, yes, the numbers are high, but not as high as, as one might fear. Well, but probably the highest casualties ever in a conflict between them. Yes, yes. And, so, and that yeah. stays that way. All right, okay. Uh, that's the good news good. Uh, that you yeah. get early on. This is, this is the... <laughs> Thanks, finally, some good this news. This is the worst part so far. Oh. Um... In five years later, in 1967, yeah. uh, India counterattacks, and uh, they do a good job there. Um, they have around 160 deaths, China 340, so that is significantly larger. But they push China back to sort of the area that you see on a map right now. If you now would pull up a map, you would sort of see those lines. Okay. Uh, and they call that their line of actual control. So they reclaimed Ladakh. Yeah. And they don't reclaim Aksaitin. Yeah. Now it's important to realize that both of these countries are now, you have a border, disputed border, and you have two lines of actual control. And you might think if you just sort of like think about the border between Germany and the Netherlands, it's sort of hard to imagine that both have a border that they protect on other sides of each other. Yeah. However, in this area, it's a little bit different because the area is so difficult to traverse. It is very difficult. Like even Donald Trump couldn't build a border wall here, right? Um, there's a, I was thinking earlier, there's a reason why the Chinese put their wall on the other side of the country. Um, so it's, it's, it is very possible that if you're not, if both countries are not agreeing on actually the lines of actual control, it is sometimes just possible that there is a okay. Chinese military man, there were some Indian hunters, that might completely think that they are inside their own country, are in an area that actually is considered by the Chinese to be behind their front line. Yeah, that's the essence of dispute, right? I mean, yeah, but it's, it's important to think that it's not only a dispute where, if the two of us have a dispute, that we both stand in front of each other and I say, let's move this border five meter yeah. forward, and you say, let's move this border two meter forward. It is actually a situation where we can be lost in those seven meters and yeah. not really have any idea. Because okay. we cannot mark this border. It's just too difficult, too rugged. Seems like you could come up with an easy solution since it's so difficult that they both don't really know where they are at times. <laughs> like, how, how can it be such a big deal <laughs> if they can't even come up with a concrete proposal of a line? I, I see your point. I take your point. It's um, a very naive point of view, obviously. Um, but no, but I, I, I only if you're listening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you don't even know where to draw a line, <laughs> why draw it at all? Yeah. I, think it's a, I think it's a valid point. Um, they don't. Uh, so that is uh, 1967, that war concludes. Um, and that is sort of the more or less situation that it is right now. That, that, that does not mean that nothing happens. There yeah. is, the, I want to give you a couple of examples of things that actually happened in this, in this conflict. Because like the first one is just a great example of how easy you can get into a war that you don't really want to be in. Um, in 1987, India does, a, does an, uh, an uh, exercise. And in this exercise, the, the point of the exercise is to figure out how we can move as many troops as possible as fast as possible. They do exercises in troop movement. All right. Now, this yeah. leads to a temporary buildup in Ladakh. Yeah, I guess. So the Chinese see this. They're not aware that there is a, an exercise going on. So they're like, oh, shit. They're going to attack. These... Exactly. So they yeah. start to build up. The Indians are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We were just exercising. What are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, first they start to also build up. It takes a little bit of time before they both realize, oh, wait, ah, there's actually nothing going on. Right? And that is, that's a bad case scenario between any two countries. Yeah. But at this point, both of them are nuclear countries too. Right? So there's this, <laughs> this kind of nonsense can be very, very dangerous. 
Well, isn't that the reason why, for example, NATO always announces their exercises? Um, I don't know if... Well, that is, I guess, part of the reason. Uh, I think another um, part of it is also that you can sort of flex your muscles without actually having to do something, right? All so right. it's not okay. only being clear. Yeah. I mean, it's, for example, you had the... I don't know if you heard this, the Clear Skies Treaty between Russia and the United States. Oh, Russia yeah, that uh, Russia is just about to... Get yeah, out Steph, of. Right. Yeah, yeah, because the United States stepped out of it like half a year ago, or maybe longer. Um, and the idea there was that they sort of could keep an eye out on each other's nuclear uh, movements and, and arsenal. To create some transparency. Yeah, because yeah. The, 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 the thinking is if we have transparency, we have a base of trust. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then from that you can build to more peaceful solutions. Which was uh, what was lacking now in the India-China case, where India yeah. started an exercise, China didn't know it was an exercise, and exactly. all of a sudden it escalated yeah. to not a war, though. No, 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 no. Okay. Let, yeah, no, no, no. Let, let's be all be very glad that this uh, <laughs> uh, didn't um, didn't escalate. Now then, and we'll, we'll get it back a little bit more to to ways China and India have tried to to sort of make sure this doesn't go too far out of hand. Um, in 2013, this is a, it's a fun little thing just to think about distances. In 2013, China sets up a military camp in a place that they think is behind their own line of actual control. Yeah. The Chinese set up a camp 300 meters away. Uh, they heavily fortify these camps too. Now, I don't know if you know a lot. Have you ever shot guns, Maurit? I actually did. What, 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 kind, of, what kind of a gun... <laughs> I did it legally uh, in uh, a gun range, a shooting range in Texas. And uh, so I'm guessing an AR-15. Guns, actually, uh, indeed, among others. Yeah. You know what a range of an AR-15 is? Um, I would guess more than 300 meters. I did not do that myself but i i mean it's it's a weapon right like it shoots bullets at an incredible speed it would be disappointing if it wouldn't make it over 300 meters and i think the world would actually be a better place if it couldn't make it further than <laughs> unfortunately i am pretty sure it does go way beyond that yeah it does yeah. It, it, like if you do not modify these things they can they can have an effective range of about of at least 500 meters Effective range basically means that the bullet still goes fast enough to actually, you know, get something Hit done. Hit something. Um, if you think 300 meters, you're basically thinking AK-47 kind of pretty old weaponry that could already do that. I think technically the AK-47 was built for 100 meters, uh, but it could reach uh, 300 meters. So it's, it's important to note that they were within 300 meters. Because obviously they're military, so they have weapons. <laughs> oh, they do. Yes, they do have weapons. Yeah, and they fortify them. So they probably even have some pretty serious weapons too. Right? Yes, but we'll get back. Cause that, that's, it's funny that you mention this. Cause we'll get back to this. It is, there is something interesting going on there. Uh, but yes, I, they, I have some suspicion, actually, that it has something to do exactly not with guns. Well, you you're yeah, running a little bit exactly. ahead of the facts here. All right, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. Um, well, let's you know, let's get straight into it, uh, because in All 2017 right. they actually they actually start fighting. Uh, they start fighting in a different region. Uh, they start okay. fighting in uh, uh, Bhutan. Now, oh yeah. Bhutan is is a fairly small country, 800,000 people is what I wrote. So uh, China claims a little bit of Bhutan. You might think, well, what's Bhutan going to do? India supports Bhutan in this. Yeah. So what happens is that the Chinese in 2017 starts the construction of a road um, yeah. in Bhutan. Now, in an area called Taklan, India sends troops uh, and they show up and they, they try to stop the Chinese from building this road. Soldiers okay. come to blows and they engage in what I uh, usually call uh, Palestinian style warfare. Uh, they start throwing rocks at each other. All right. Um, okay. There's several injured. Uh, yeah. And China stops the construction of the road. Right? But it's exactly this. Like, they're not using guns in that region. They have made a deal in their peace treaty 
that they will not use firearms in their conflict. Okay. Um, and the thinking that leaves a lot of room for interpretation, though. <laughs> yeah, but so far uh, it seems that they have a lot of weaponry in the region. Don't get this. Don't yeah. think they yeah, just yeah. both are gentlemen and be like that whole like for, they can't right. India can't yep. because Pakistan is also there. <laughs> so and China, I guess, can't either because Tibet is also still there. So even if they would have that attitude, which I'm very sure they definitely do not have, then All right. even okay. then uh, they probably couldn't get away with not bringing weapons, and they bring a lot. Like uh, we we can talk a little bit more about Indian uh, military capabilities later. Uh, fine, but let's cut the chase. Yeah. Um, so what happens in uh, June of 2020? Yeah. Uh, you may have heard about this, have you? Is that why you are suspicious about the weapons? Well, does it involve fists? It involves also fists, yes. Because I have some distant memory of reading an article about Indian and Chinese troops getting involved in fist fights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's I'm, I have to laugh a bit because yeah you know I mean these are insane nuclear powers etc and now that I hear that the they built camps 300 meters apart that were heavily fortified and then they engage in fistfights it makes me kind of feel at ease a bit that this is the level of escalation we got to yeah I mean it is still um, it is still pretty pretty dire all right. Um, yeah. Because, um, okay, let's start on how it's not clear who started this, right? They're both sides are blaming the other side for invading their territory. Oh, oh I, th I was about to say that's a typical beginning of a fist fight, right? <laughs> <Bar> fight. <laughs> he, it was him. No, he, he jumped on me first. Yeah, like, look, if you want to sort of uh, do a bar fight situation, I guess they're both claiming the same, uh, the same girl and uh, they're now in a... And the question is... Who kissed whose girl first, I guess. Yeah, or just who pushed someone else. I don't know. Yeah. Bumped into you. It's like, sorry, it's just a happy accident. You stole my beer. No, you stole my beer. That kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it seems right now the consensus in the media seems to be that China started this. However, I will make a very important caveat here, which yeah. is that... Um, that um, when we think about this, it's important to remember that India has a relatively free media and China very much does not. Really? <laughs> yeah. There is some Chinese, there are some Chinese um, publications that are decent, but in the end it is still very much state controlled. Yeah. So we can get more information from India, right? Because the Indian sort of there's a, there's a pathway for the information to flow out, which is easier. Yeah, like forwarding WhatsApp messages. For example. Don't know if you get the reference, but yeah. it's a big subject in there, India, there was a, and it's a huge problem. This was with sort of a conspiracy slash genocide thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so free media and uh, also some issues. Yeah, yeah, no, like I'm not saying there's no issues, and I think in this case... It is difficult, like, if the, if the consensus is that China invaded India, that might be because we tend to get our information from one side of the border. Yeah. And it's fairly hard to get it from both sides. So I, I will make that caveat, and that's sort of important to remember that yeah. sometimes uh, this, this kind of stuff happens. Now, they brawl in their, indeed with their fists. That's something we know. However, uh, there's also been um, reports of clubs, uh, clubs wrapped in barbed wire, clubs with nails. Uh, I even heard a report of Chinese soldiers building a dam in a waterway and releasing the water when some Indians came out of their jeep. So they get creative. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, and in the end, we know 20 Indian soldiers die. Oh. We do not have numbers from China. Uh, All right. They're estimates, and estimates are anything between, I've seen 12, I have seen uh, in 48, but that was in, in like, in a not very trusted story. I, I'd say think about between 12 and, and 30, but we don't know. Fine. 
Yeah. Um, so yes, it is. It it it's an interesting situation, right? They're fighting with fists. They're fighting with clubs. But this is the most people that have died. Um, not only in this conflict, but also in in the Chinese military from fighting abroad. Since um, the '67 clash, or when was that? Yeah, sorry. The the it's the most since the '67 clash for India China, and I think it's in yeah. the last ten years or so or so that the P, the PLO. I have it noted somewhere. I'll check it. I'll check it in a bit. Um, that the PLO has lost um, more than ten people in one uh, in one fight. There was a number Can you somewhere. Just state that what the PLO the is again? People Liberation. No PLO. PLA. I'm thinking about PLA. PLA. Sorry. Right. So China's yeah. army, in layman's terms. Yeah. P yeah. Sorry, PLO is a Palestinian thing, I think. Um, <laughs> so you might, and this happened last June. So right yeah. now, let's go to the situation right now. All right. So if you look at it from like a zoomed out perspective, it seems now to be a little bit better. Uh, troops have been moving away from the border, actually. Uh, however, the reason for that is not so much that uh, they're de-escalating in a serious way. It's just that it, the weather has been so terrible. Uh, so if you have a lot of troops on that border, you can't keep them combat effective for long. This, the weather situation is too dire to do that. So what you can do is you can refresh your troop, making sure they, they keep some combat effectiveness. But if you do this All with right. enormous things, then at some point it just stops making sense. So we can thank Mother Nature. Yeah, for what's happening this winter, right? Um, so it makes sense to finally say, we are the virus, nature is healing. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, okay, let's move on. <laughs> well, um, talks good. are ongoing yeah. between China and India. Uh, they have been uh, ongoing for a, a while now. Um, it sounds hopeful. I have seen very, very mixed things coming from it. Uh, things including China saying that India should make sure their, their soldiers do not make such stupid mistakes. Um, well, these guys are sort of seen as heroes in India, these 20 guys that died at least and uh, India saying that uh, China is, is is radical expansionist and dangerous so yeah they're talking sometimes you hear something right. good oftentimes you hear something bad coming out of these talks um, okay so I wonder I, I sort of no idea how that's gonna progress these talks India however did release that one lost Chinese soldier uh, they uh, they got the soldier they found it soldier was lost they ruled out espionage and they released the soldier back to China. Oh, so this finally circles back to the beginning of our story that a Chinese soldier got lost. Exactly. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, we we did take kind of a loop, but we're back. Yes, which is just like Great. the Chinese soldier. So that is. <laughs> and that that just happened recently. Yeah. Yeah. The Chinese soldier got right. uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, they gave the the soldier back. Wow, imagine in this insane terrain, in the harshest winter in a long time, you're by yourself, lost. Mm -mm. And then you get picked up by the opposing army. Yeah. Probably scared to death, literally, yeah. of becoming a prisoner of war. Yeah. Wow, that must be insane. I mean, it's already probably hell to be part of this conflict in that region at all. Well... Glad um, they released it. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. This is in, like China is a big country, and uh, its military comes from all kinds of places. So it's it's very possible. Uh, this soldier is like in an area that he doesn't know at all. Yeah. And then definitely. This is yeah. This must be. I mean, to be fair, right? China is also propagating a lot. Let's say from a cultural point of view, the culture of the Han Chinese mm -hmm. uh, who are not at home in that region at all. No. And I can only imagine that the military is made up mostly or primarily of Han Chinese descent people. So uh, 
don't think anyone who's probably fighting for the Chinese army is home to that region. It, it's very possible you will not see a lot of Tibet, Tibet, Tibetans. Sorry, I was going to say Tibetanian, yeah. but that sounds more like a metal. No, <laughs> you will not see any Uyghurs or Tibetans fighting for the Chinese army in that region. I doubt it. I um. This is something that I think uh, you can make either a very, very good film about, or you can get Sylvester Stallone and make not such a good film from it. Um, <laughs> however, what I kind of wanted to talk to you about, this, this is sort of one instance of the China-Indian relationship. And it's an important, yeah. it's not only an important relationship, but this instance is where this, this particular territorial conflict is important. But you are a smart man. And I thought it might be interesting to sort of talk on a more wider sense about the relationship you see between India and China right now, which are still the two populous, population-wise, the two biggest countries on earth, right? Uh, I think India is yeah, going to take over China uh, relatively soon. Yeah, indeed. I think it's, um, it's actually quite interesting to look a bit ahead uh, in, into demographic change and what that means because if you now mention they are obviously currently the two most populous countries in the world but i think we did uh, i don't know we didn't speak about it but our great also friend simon jacob he showed me this data um who uh, which shows pretty much how china's demographic is going to change drastically in a negative sense so by 2100, the Chinese population will almost be cut in half. What? Yeah. That's crazy. So India will be the most populous country still. Um, but I think the second most populous country will be Nigeria. Okay, I see that. And so, so uh, it's interesting to, to look into the future there because, you know, we have 80 years to go till 2100. Seems like a long time, you know, beyond our lifespan maybe, but in historical or geopolitical um, kind of timelines, that's a lot can happen. And, um, and I think that, that there, we, we don't know exactly right how this will play out, but I think that this, this will indefinitely have, a, uh, have an impact on the policies of both countries because the, the, the global equation kind of is, is shifting all the time or constantly. Yeah. I was actually, this, is, this made me think of something that I read uh, about, uh, it is very unclear why last summer this conflict flared up. Right? So people have been right. speculating on, on why, why now, essentially. Now there have been some, some um, things that you can interpret as provocations from India to China, because India has been very, trying very hard to cut China out of its market, to make yeah. and that it like that makes a lot. Considering this demographic change, that starts to make even more sense than it already does, right? Because yeah. China cannot forever rely on internal consumption. They need access to this huge market, which is India. Yeah, you know more about the economy I than I do generally, so. Um. I don't know if they really need to do that because uh, there's still the rest of the world out there, right? And sure. they're pretty active already there. I mean, one topic I would like to bring up is the, the so-called Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. And I think that could play a role here as well because um, now in the beginning you mentioned Pakistan yeah. as a third player. Yeah. We didn't really touch upon Pakistan so much in the last couple of minutes mm -hmm. there or a historic review. Bring them back. Yes, because uh, in the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, Pakistan plays an insanely important role. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Karakoram, what was it called? I call it the highway, Karakoram Highway, but because it's actually a highway, but you called it something else, the track. Yeah, I call it track. It also has a, yeah. a, a more poetic name. Uh, but <laughs> but that's, that's super strategically important to China. I mean, they want to have uh, access to the sea. Mm-hmm through Pakistan, through the Karakoram tract. Um, so I, I can imagine that that plays a very important role as well. They maybe want to have like stability in their own terms in that region by maybe claiming more land or enforcing their rule of power. 
to ensure that the Belt and Road Initiative goes through uh, as they plan and that India might not interfere because in the end this, this Karakoram tract which allows China then to build highways and railways to Karachi and other ports would also benefit Pakistan a lot. Mm -hmm. Another arch enemy of India. Yeah. So I think that's maybe also some form of uh, India could interpret that as some form of provocation because if thy neighbor gets stronger economically, especially through the help of the other arch enemy, um, you might feel a little bit intimidated. Yeah, and there's there's more reason for this. I I think you're very right about this, but there's also uh, I I found this. Uh, it is from December twenty one in twenty twenty. Is mm -hmm. a Chinese foreign ministry telling India to look objectively and not get worried about military exercises where the Chinese and Pakistani air forces are exercising together. Right. So you're right. It, it, like what you're talking about now is an economic thing, which is a very important aspect of this. Yeah. But this. Actually, if you say sort of like you can get worried about that, yes, you should be, especially, or you should be, I think there's, there's a reason to be, especially if you also see that they're not only economically cooperating, you also start to cooperate militarily, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. What we can discuss at length whether or not these countries actually will come to a serious military conflict, right? Because they're still nuclear power, so the rest of the world is... I guess, pretty determined to make sure it, it doesn't go too far. But that is, this is flexing your muscles. China and Pakistan here are flexing their muscles to India. But uh, you mentioned military cooperation between China and Pakistan, yeah. which in my opinion, in essence, boils down also to economic cooperation. Because if Pakistan does military exercises with China, it's probably because China wants to sell them their military goods. Well... Right. Air Force, the, the, the Pakistani Air Force actually has um, uh, American planes. Yeah, but I mean, are they, do they need to stay loyal, let's say, to the American military industrial complex? No, but they got the... What, what if they called? can have the big brother China um, flexing harder and protecting them. Yeah, but, but I, I'm sort of now, I'm sort of lost what kind of planes, but they have the... Uh, Oh, I don't, I don't know the names. They got they got late generation uh, American plane. We're not we're not oh, talking yeah. uh, we're not talking anything anything uh, old. Actually, if you look enough. at that, it's f interesting that the Indian Air Force is actually much older and uses MiGs, which I think the Chinese military used in the past. I'm not sure if they still use MiGs, which are Russian. Yeah, I don't know much about military forces and development to be honest but i i do think that economic interests are just so insanely prevalent yeah and like for for all three countries and but especially for china and india i mean yeah yeah it's it's i think it's an interesting thing because this is one of the main reasons why right now china looks unassailable for india um, if you just look at the, the economic situation in both countries, China is doing much, much better economically. Uh, yeah. If you look at their military budget, I'm using the numbers coming from the uh, Stockholm Peace Institute. Uh, China is the second biggest military uh, spender with $261 billion. And I think it's dollars. Uh, and India is the third uh, with 91. So that is a... It's a huge That's difference. The, the gap, yeah. It's 180 or so. Yeah. Um, so that makes that makes a big difference, but that also means that other things that, that sort of seem somewhat tied to this. China, for example, has been making financial inroads in Sri Lanka as well, which is scary. Absolutely. And they have yeah. done the same thing in Nepal. So... Yeah. Things are getting... I can understand why India might feel that it's slowly getting boxed in by its, uh, its threatening neighbor to the north. Perhaps. Um, I mean, from, from what I've gathered, which is obviously not 
an expert opinion, but um, in, I just think that yeah, India, uh, to put it in like a few words, India is just still so busy with itself, where China is really busy with itself, but also with the rest of the world at the same time. <laughs> Literally the rest of the world. Because you, you, we're touching about Asia now. So yeah, India, uh, sorry, China is really involved in projects with every Asian country except Taiwan. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and this is I like just that you Asia, acknowledge right? Taiwan, uh, moment. <laughs> um, yeah, but so they, they're just as strongly involved in Europe. They're incredibly involved in, in uh, Africa. They have uh, a growing influence in South America, right? I mean, there's, there's stats about the number of countries whose primary economic partner is China and the number of countries whose primary economic partner is the US. And how a couple of years ago, China surpassed the US and it's just growing. And so many more countries have become dependent of China, right? So, and the point I want to make is just that from at least what I gathered is that here, India is um, not that well set up when it comes to soft power around the world. Because they might have just so many uh, still like internal struggles and challenges to overcome, maybe that that's just keeping them too busy, or I don't know what their strategies are, or, you know how that works out. But they have for a long time have been trying to uh, to be neutral in conflicts. Um, it's not even about conflicts; it's just it's soft power, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's not necessarily conflicts. I I just think that you know this in in like the the last twenty years, this created such a huge advantage for China. For, for their influence in the world and their position as world power compared to India because yeah just I India India wasn't doing as much and maybe still isn't doing as much to gain influence diplomatically economically well strategically militarily with India has been, that's why I'm saying they, they try not to get in they try to stay neutral in things so they can broker in, in certain areas now obviously this could never happen with conflicts that they were themselves involved in. But okay. fairly recently, I think pictures also came out of Modi uh, in the morning talking to the Israelis and then in the evening having coffee with Palestinians. So I've been trying uh -huh. to do a little bit of that, but the problem right now is that they can't maintain this, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they have also been trying to steal, well, steal is probably not the right word, but trying to steal companies from leaving China to come to India. Now that's not been wildly successful. Uh, yeah. But they've been try and they've also tried to use COVID, uh, saying that the Chinese have fucked all that up and that it's okay. better. So they have been trying to do a little bit of of, of national PR essentially. Not, I wouldn't say this is hugely successful. I've not seen great success stories of this. Yeah, I agree because it's also short term as well. You know, they they've just started, as you mentioned. Maybe they've been trying certain things. Yeah, sure, fine, but it's in my opinion, magnitudes less compared to any efforts Chinese diplomats or companies or governmental actors have been doing for many, many years now. Yeah, well, you could, you know, make the caveat whether it's unclear whether a government entity and a company is not sort of the same thing in China, right? Yeah, the, absolutely. And that that's also probably something that gives them additional efficiencies or you know like puts tools in your box yes a lot definitely definitely yeah. what is interesting though is that right now it seems like uh, which makes sense that India seems to be pushed into America's direction right so uh, that's an interesting situation for them because there is in the way that India might feel boxed in by China there's been another, it's called the Quad, which is Japan, Australia, India, and the United States. Okay. That sort of have tried to, at least in, in Navy thinking, have been trying to sort yeah. of do a similar thing to China. Um, With the Pacific and the Indian Ocean, etc. Yeah, which is in, like the, the strait, I forgot the name of the strait, the strait underneath Singapore. Yeah, I know which one you mean. It's the, the world's... I don't, I can't recall the name right now, unfortunately, yeah, but 
it's incredibly important for global uh, the global economy. Yeah. <laughs> so you have you have some places where uh, it seems that um, India might have some room to gain some credit internationally speaking. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. It's tricky because economically they're being run over and they're not, not close to compete. You're, it's, you're right about that, I think. Yeah, at least, uh, at least that's my opinion when you, when, you look at, when you look at it. I mean, on one hand, you, you have economic development within the country where China has definitely been a lot more successful with raising people out of poverty. The means by which they achieve this can definitely be heavily debated. Yes, but if we only look at results right now, um, there is an incredible development that took place in China, whereas there's also an incredible development that took place in India, but it's maybe not, it hasn't reached as many people as quickly. And it's, it's maybe, you know, we maybe make it also too simple for ourselves to compare these two countries just because they are the two most populous countries and they have a similar amount of people living in them. Well, right now I'd say that the, the reason for comparing is, is because they are in a conflict, right? So yeah. even if the Netherlands yeah. is, is in conflict with, say, Guatemala, I, I guess you can compare them and see who comes. Yeah, true, true. But I, I feel like the, the conflict they're in, though, in the region, is, is, is not comparable to the flexing of power they both try to achieve on a global level. Because in the region, they, they're really only kind of fighting with each other. They're pushing a border up and down. They're pushing some, they have some you know, strategic interest in the region and controlling a certain line. But that, in my opinion, means very little to a lot of other regions or significant political powers in the world. Well, or did I misunderstand something here? You know, like, would it be so important to Russia or to the US or to the EU if Ladakh is more on one side than the other? No, but this is not a question, I think, of... It's not important because of the destination, but because of the journey that gets you there. It is okay. important because that area, the Kashmir area... Uh, Kashmir itself, between Pakistan and, and India, is probably, if you look at triggers for a nuclear conflict, yeah. that's a good bet. That's a, if, okay. if you, and this is something that people are not uh, supremely worried about, uh, it seems, but uh, my girlfriend studied this, so I, I, I tend to be a bit more worried about it than other people, perhaps, is we kind okay. of forget in day-to-day in -day life that there's nukes and that, you know, Sure, global warming is very threatening to the planet, but the thing that can destroy the planet tomorrow is nuclear weapons. And that is true every day, right? I definitely tend to agree with the statement. I might sometimes forget what kind of th level of threat that might pose. Yeah. yeah. I do not think about it much. Right. At all. And it's still, I think, if you look at sort of the easiest, fastest, and definitely not most unlikeliest way for us all to to make a worse year than 2020, let's say. I think that's probably the road you take. So because it's in that region and because it's three nuclear powers sort of on one border, yeah. that is why I think it is relevant. Because right now they've been fighting with clubs, right? Which is yeah. all, well, 20 people died, but you know, it's, I, I get what you're saying. It is not that important. Like there's been pub brawls that may have also let 20 people dead. I, I don't know, I imagine. There's been protests in America that have more deaths than that. That, that yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but if that fail-safe fails, yeah. then you have two of the biggest militaries coming to butt heads. And then I think it might be a worrying place because then you have three countries and I... You know, you can say if China and India get into a scuffle, Pakistan is not going to do anything. I don't know. I, I, I tend to be a little bit more cynical. I think there, there might be more opportunism involved there. 
And I think that's what makes right. a situation yeah. here actually newsworthy. It is mostly because of the nuclear component. Because you're right, in the end, yeah. do, do I care if a couple sheeps in a... I mean, well, I, I don't know what the population there is, but it's, it's not huge. It's probably very sparse. Yeah, yeah Kashmir is, is more populated, but to the, to, to the Chinese border, it's, 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 it's very little. So that's not, that's not the thing. Well, I do care about people not dying, um, sure. but it's, you know, if, if it's about the border, this imaginary line you draw on maps, um, and ideally then without any casualties. Uh, yeah, intuitively, <laughs> the I British have tried to do that for years, Margaret, and it is—it's very difficult. <laughs> it's terrible, actually. Yeah, terrible experience. <laughs> yeah, but I find it—I find it difficult to maybe remind myself what kind of threat um, two nuclear powers in a conflict might pose to the planet, um, because. Because maybe also the, the potential outcome is so devastating that uh, it's, it's, it, makes, it makes it almost unbelievable. I mean, if a nuclear strike were to happen because of a conflict in Kashmir or Ladakh region, and that would create, wipe out so many people and create a nuclear wasteland and bring, I don't know, the world to a nuclear winter, that sounds so apocalyptic, it's unimaginable to me currently how that, what implications that might actually have on our lives. That we would have to care about it so much to try to avoid it from our home office. <laughs> Sitting comfortably in our chairs talking over Skype and recording this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's newsworthy because it is very uh, interesting also. And I think we should all be aware of conflicts in the world. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's somehow... Well, it's, it was what? never my intention. It was my hope, perhaps, <laughs> but never my intention that, that we here together tonight fix the relationship between China and India. Um, no, we'll never do that, obviously. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, I think there's more... Um, um, Lisa tells me this story, uh, or has told me a story a couple times, just for the impact yeah. of uh, of nuclear weapons. She tells the story that at some point uh, countries came together to discuss the use of nuclear weapons, and at some point the Red Cross uh, gave like a talk there, and the yeah. Red Cross said, "Well, you know, if this happens, there is literally nothing we can do. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a disaster where even the relief." can't come. It is utterly yeah. devastating. So even if you say like, you can put it all the way to a nuclear winter, let's say that cooler heads prevail. Yeah. You can still look at apocalyptic scenes in, in, in that region. Like we're talking about, if that would happen just in that region with relatively tactical nukes, we're probably still looking at the biggest black page in, 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 in humanity of the last 40 years. That sounds terrible, yeah. So, yeah, that is, it's something to keep an eye on, let me put it like that. Yeah, yeah. Even though it kind of looks funny when they when they beat each other with clubs and with throw rocks at each other. Well, clubs are less, I think a fist fight is maybe still okay-ish, <laughs> but clubs with nails in them, that does, that's more, I think that's reserved for Hollywood or Bollywood. In that case. Yeah. Or the Middle Ages, perhaps, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that, that, you know, often. But I think, you know, to, to bring it also back to where we are today, right? Comfortably in our, in our homes. Um, I mean, we, it's good to keep an eye on it and it's good to talk about it and be aware, I think, or to raise awareness as well. But I think one should also consider then what can we in our with our like, tiny minimal influence that we might have on the world do to somehow impact uh, whatever these enormous nations and world powers um, can do, you know, like how much freedom they have to maybe do whatever they want and stuff. And it's, it sounds maybe very disappointing, but probably we don't, we don't, we can't do much about it, but 
we can still convince ourselves that maybe we don't support certain things uh, or we do raise awareness for other points, right? To to then actually kind of uh, fight a little bit this dystopian uh, future of a nuclear fallout. I, 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 I like your activism spirit. Um, well, it's very small, maybe. I mean, there but, is some, there know, is some like, good news. I think there's a there's a... There's an argument to be made for me to do a, like a complete episode on nuclear weapons itself. But there has been some good news in that recently a metric crept on of countries. It's a lot. I don't have the numbers, but it's a, it's a very yeah. it's sort of the entire world is, apart from the closest allies to nuclear powers and nuclear powers that have said that the using or even the having of nuclear powers... Yeah is uh, against international law. Now, this yeah. will have no direct effect, right? Like, it's not... Probably not. No, the US is not going to look at this and be yeah. like, yo, okay, we're going to disarm now. That's not going to happen. But it is a symbolic move. And yeah. this was, I think it was initiated by NGOs that, that work in this area. All right. So that is okay. quite quite as grassroots as you can are going to get in international relations, I think. Yeah. yeah that's, so there is people that nice. actually work in these areas. And yeah, you have also uh, UN offices and uh, institutions that are very active here as well. I mean, you know, whenever we think about Iran and the nuclear deals, etc. Right? Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of pro nuclear involved, deal, but you see sort of the failing of international of the international relations system in the in the Iran nuclear deal, I think, not necessarily in the Iran nuclear deal as it was, which I'm not. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to highlight now Iran specifically. Just wanted to say that there, at least there are, <laughs> there seem to be some institutions involved in also this besides, let's say NGOs and uh, grassroots movements. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not trying to take aim at Iran at all. I'm just saying that the, it's a great example of you make these deals. And you try to figure things out in international relations, and then Donald Trump comes along and says, "Fuck this," right? Yeah. Which means that you that, can work at something for twenty years. And, it's very fragile. Yeah, at, at the whim of someone, uh, of what is essentially still a reality TV star. Uh, it yeah. gets broken. It gets broken down. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, but that's a very complicated topic. I think the. I, I don't know what we can do, uh, Maurice. I don't know what I could do personally about this. Well, I could do this. I could, uh, you know, phone up a friend and uh, talk about... Yeah, but um, actually also coming back to another point I mentioned at the very beginning, the Ladakh region mm -hmm. is supposed to be incredibly beautiful. I've seen some pictures. So I have... Um, I found this out about two and a half years ago uh, when I worked with uh, two Indian colleagues. And we somehow spoke about traveling. And then they mentioned Ladakh and how amazingly beautiful it is. And they showed me pictures and everything. And they told me that apparently a beautiful thing to do is to fly to India, buy an old-timer motorcycle, specifically from the brand Royal Enfield, which is uh, a British, British motorcycle manufacturer, drive up all the way guns. to Ladakh, Sorry? Did they make the guns, the Enfield? It's a gun, no? Oh, never mind. Yes. Is it a, maybe they make guns as well. But I, I only know about the motorcycles. And then you're supposed to, or not supposed to, but you can then drive up all these mountains and be on these roads on incredible elevation, watching these peaks on your old motorcycle and go past these turquoise-colored lakes. And that made me really um, think that that would be amazing to do. And not too long after that, a conflict arose, and I learned that it's pretty much impossible for uh, foreigners to go there as tourists. <laughs> so I shelved that idea. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I, th I, I have to think about it. Like, it came to my mind immediately when you mentioned the name Ladakh, because it's a, supposedly something really special. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I kind of think that's, that's a bit of a, an adventurous trip. <laughs> um, certainly now, but uh, even even in at peaceful times, yeah, that that would be so so nice to do. And 
I would be really excited to hear from anyone who listens to this podcast if they actually did that if once already or if they heard about it or thought about <laughs> doing this as well. I think you might be slightly overestimating the range yeah. this podcast has, but yes. Oh, you never know. No, you never, you know. never know. I mean, yeah. It's uh, it's just uh, maybe maybe also to, to still talk about some positive aspects of this region. Yeah, that I've seen pictures. Like the, it's, it's natural beauty. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> Yeah, I've only seen some pictures only now when I was researching and you know some of it looks really really rough but there's also like these yeah. these beautiful rivers going through yeah some of it, is, it looks absolutely gorgeous for sure. Yeah. Definitely. So if nothing else Maurits, uh, tonight I have successfully explained to you why your travel plans had to be changed. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In essence I think that brings it that <laughs> brings it to a really good, to a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you for the explanation. Um, <laughs> definitely interesting to know more about the the history as well, and and yeah, the the implications and the dynamics of of those conflicts or the conflict. Well, you know, if 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 things come up, um, yeah, look, I don't know, I, I I haven't done this long enough to know if I, uh, if I keep up with with new stories, right? This is the yeah. fourth podcast you're on. So I don't, I don't know if I, Great. if I can keep up with, with developing stories. But we'll see. Perhaps, but uh, nonetheless, thank you very much for I, I, Thank you very much for coming on, Moritz. I, I really enjoy talking to you. Uh, I don't talk to you often <laughs> enough. I feel. Great. I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, so yeah, we, we can talk often, more often, definitely. And this is a, it's a, this is a great excuse to talk. And uh, yeah, no, thank you very much for coming. I, I had a good time. I liked it a lot. I think you're an excellent podcast guest. <laughs> podcast guest. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm curious um, to hear it again, and to see um, how it all went. You know, because actually, while while you're doing it, maybe you don't remember everything you said, or the red thread is maybe not always so clear. But um, yeah, thanks for the kind words. It's been a pleasure. So far, so far, I have found that uh, listening to it again makes me feel better. Uh, Very good. Yes. Yeah. So it's not, I'll I'll make sure it gets to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, you want to call it tonight? Uh, anything that you would like to still say to the people uh, to the people at home, cozy as they are. To the people at home. Some mountaineering advice, perhaps. I don't. Oh, um, bring peace to the world. Yeah? <sighs> Look at that. Beautiful, beautiful, uh, noble exit. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. In that case, uh, this was uh, the uh, Soundstream Media. Boom, 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 boom.